0: Great. We are so grateful uh, as we've just been looking back on God's rich, rich faithfulness to us. And it's exciting as we look ahead, too, and we start to dream again about what is coming next. And we can't wait to see what his faithfulness looks like in the future as well. Uh, This morning, um, you each got one of these in your seat, Uh, a Love Local guide. All right. This is part of our Love Lab series that we've been putting out. Uh, Because we believe that church isn't about just coming together for a lecture, but church is a lab. All right, grace is not a theory, grace is an experiment that we should all be a part of and and putting into action. The same grace that has transformed us, we should be spreading it to other people and sharing it with other people. So, when we first started six years ago, Before we ever had any service, worship service here in this room, we felt like God was compelling us and and calling us to go and put it into action before we ever got together and began to talk about it. And so we began to sow these seeds in the community of going out and uh, with what we called love missions, right? And we were very specific. These are not random acts of kindness. Because there's nothing random about it. These are intentional seeds of the kingdom, intentional moves of love that we were engaging in. And so I want to challenge you guys this week as part of celebrating God's faithfulness to us over these last six years. uh, To take one of these ideas, Grab. maybe you do it by yourself, maybe you grab a couple of friends uh, and put something into action remember how we started and let's keep doing it all right let's keep adding those layers here in the community we believe that the most eloquent articulation of the gospel is not just in being able to speak it and put it into words which is very very important but we also need to be able to put it into action through sacrificial love and that is convincing, and that is compelling when people see that. So let me challenge you to do that, okay? It's weird when somebody asks you for a birthday gift, right? But as as for a birthday gift to the church, we want to get we want you to give it away to the community, okay? so so do that this week. Also this morning, uh, as part of our celebration and looking back on God's faithfulness to us, uh, we've been walking as a church through the book of Acts, this idea of how to start. fire, And we know that we trace it all the way back to the spark. And the Holy Spirit is the spark. The Holy Spirit is the spark. So we've been walking through the book of Acts together. And looking at the way the Holy Spirit transformed those earliest believers. And the way that it impacted the culture around them. Spiritual renewal led to social reform and cultural renaissance. And we firmly believe that the time most ripe for renewal is always right now. So we've been studying that together and engaging with that and asking the Holy Spirit to push us and challenge us in that. As we look through the book of Acts, it seems like Peter, John, and Paul are kind of the main figures that we focus on most of the time. Those are the stories that we tell the most often. But the book of Acts is not about the leadership of a few. The book of Acts is about the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit raises up not just a few, but raises up the entire church. And we see the genius of God unleashed in Acts chapter 2, where the very presence of God, the Spirit of God, fills every believer in Jesus Christ. They're filled with the Spirit, and the church is unleashed in a way that it had never been before. So today we're going to pause. We've been looking at Peter's life, Next week, we're going to look at Paul. But right now, we're going to pause in this moment. And we're going to hear some stories that we don't often hear from the book of Acts. We're going to look at some figures that we don't often talk about. But these people are, are part of the backbone of the church. And these people represent turning point moments in the history of of the church. So we're going to hear that today from some voices within the church. And our friends that are going to share with us today, they're going to introduce themselves to you. Um, They are strong members of this church. They're part of the backbone of who we are as a church. And so we wanted for them to share with us the stories, these important stories uh, of people that God uses, that God raises up, that the Holy Spirit raises up to unleash the church in the world. Jesus be with us today. And as our friends prepare to share the word with us, as they prepare to break the bread to us, I pray that our hearts would be hungry, that our minds would be open. I pray that the Spirit would be active and moving in us and help every single one of us to see that we've got a place in the kingdom. We've got a place in the church to serve you. Help us to see that. Encourage us today. Challenge us today and inspire us today. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Y'all give it up for for our
2: friends.
1: (laughs) Uh, So good morning, everybody. It's my my privilege to be on the stage today and having a chance to to talk with you all. Uh, My name is Christopher Clark, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, My family and I, my wife Tiana, have two young girls, Kaya, who's five, and Cadence, who's 18 months, uh, we've been attending this church for actually right around two years now, um, and we've really enjoyed our time here. And there are many great things I could say. We're grateful for this church in more ways than I can express in my time before you today. But what I'll, what I'll talk about is the way in which God has really worked through me since arriving here at Love Chapel Hill. So I grew up in, in the Midwest, uh, Missouri, Kansas City, to be exact. Uh, I work at UNC uh, in the political science department. And I teach uh, classes on race and politics. Uh, and I know a lot about the history of race and about the current manifestation of race, in particular, in the political system. And so moving to North Carolina, um, I was a little hesitant to come here because it's the American South. And in my own heart, I had a lot of uh, pi- biases and stereotypes about the American South, to be frank with you. And yet through my time here at this church, through relationships with specific people in the church in particular, God has really softened my heart toward the American South, which which is a big deal, right? I mean, I can't really express to you sort of what that means, but it's a really big deal, and I'm really grateful for that and how God has revealed to me how In his kingdom, there's no room for for prejudice, right? There's no room for biases, um, and that's just not okay. And I'm really grateful for how how I've grown in that respect. Uh, So today I have the privilege of talking to you about, oh, look at that, Stephen. I didn't even know my name was up there too. All right. Um, So uh, oftentimes when we think about Stephen, right, I think we focus on on how he died uh, as a martyr. Uh, And that's important, right? But what I want to do is think a little bit and talk with you a little bit about Stephen in terms of how he lived his life. Um, which is uh, filled by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit and following the Spirit. So Acts 6 and 7, there's a lot that's going on there. Uh, we learn a little bit about Stephen serving on his committee to help make it, make sure the widows actually get their proper amount of food. Really interesting backstory. Um, he's doing some things. He's, 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 he's um, being guided by the Spirit and speaking out and acting courageously. Uh, it kind of rubs uh, the Sanhedrin, the religious council that's quite powerful. It rubs them the wrong way, so they accuse them of some things. And he comes before them in his speech in Acts 7 and lays out, like, the whole history of, of, of like, the, the, um, the prophets. And he talks about Moses and Abraham and Jacob. I and mean, It's this really beautiful speech. Um, I don't have time to get into it. But toward the end of the speech, it, it's something that really stuck out to me. So he says, uh, he refers to the Sanhedrin, okay, this really powerful religious council. Uh, he refers to them as stiff-necked people, as having uncircumcised ears and hearts. And then a the statement that really stuck out to me is he says, they are always resisting the Spirit. So as we think about these words and we think about these accusations that Stephen, you know, lays before the Sanhedrin, I think it's really easy for us to identify with Stephen, right? To say, yeah, we live lives filled by the Spirit and following the Spirit, right? We're not stiff-necked. Our ears aren't, right, uncircumcised. And, and we always, right? we don't resist the Spirit. But I think we are more like the Sanhedrin than we realize, I'm sure there are a number of reasons why that's the case. I think one of these has to uh, to do with control, right? I know even for me as I was coming to faith, I could get God, right? I could get God the Father. I could get Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, right, this sort of mysterious thing that's like out there and it's always been there, it kind of weirded me out as a kid, to be honest with you. And even now as an adult, it's still weird to wrap my head around what exactly, like what does it mean to live by the Spirit? What is the Spirit exactly? Um, So I think that's probably part of it, right? Just sort of not being familiar with the Spirit and being this mysterious figure, I also think not wanting to give up control of our lives, right? Because when we when we have a life filled by the Spirit and when we follow the Spirit, we don't really have control over everything, right? We go where the Spirit tells us to go. And I know I don't like to relinquish control, right? I don't think many of us like to do that as well. You know, it scares us. Uh, And I think another thing about following the Spirit is that oftentimes we'll be led into places um, that make us quite uncomfortable, (laughs) that are unfamiliar, Uh, and as a result, we're hesitant to actually follow the Spirit. We're more inclined to resist the Spirit. So I'll talk to you briefly about an instance in my life, uh, in my family's life, where I feel like we actually follow the Spirit. Um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that, um, and I'll have some closing words for us. So uh, we went to a church uh, prior to coming here to Love Chapel Hill. Um, and, and at the church, um, I was, you know, my family and I were like one of the few families there. And so as I said, I work um, as a professor, and so, you know, I have a middle-class lifestyle. You know, I'm a professional. You know, I'm married. I had uh, one, one daughter at the time. And it was interesting because I was a minority in that, in that specific setting. Um, and many times I felt uncomfortable relating to people because right. Many of them were in transition. They may not have, you know, maybe were living in shelters, uh, weren't married, didn't have kids or if they had kids, they were grown or they weren't living with them for various reasons. And so it was really hard for me, even though I consider myself a, to be a pretty gregarious person to relate to them because of these differences between us. Um, I was the rich person. I was the privileged person and it felt totally weird. And so I think the Spirit taught me a lot of things through our experience at that church. But in particular, it taught me to be less judgmental towards people who are privileged. Something I told you, right, I, kind of, I struggle with a lot, right, passing judgment on those who are privileged. And yet, um, God taught me an important lesson there. And I think also there were numerous instances where it was clear that the Spirit was there among us in that setting, this ragtag group of people, and it was really there were really some powerful moments there. So I think when we follow the Spirit, it actually brings us closer to God. Um, there's a relationship there. So as I conclude, um, it's not easy to follow the Spirit. You know, I'd be lying if I were to come up here and tell you that. And it's something that I still struggle with. But I think if we look at the life of Stephen, and I encourage you to read uh, Acts 6 in particular, it talks a, a, you know, a bit more about his life. Um, we can look to him for motivation about what it means to live a life following the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit, to have courage, more conviction. Um, to be willing to speak out against the powers that be, even if it means it may cost us dearly. And in some cases, in the case of Stephen, it um, may, may cost us our lives. So my prayer for each of us, since we think about Stephen, and think about how he lived his life, is that we go and do likewise. Cool.
3: Um, I'm Carolyn Chesson. I'm the operations director here with Love Chapel Hill. But so six years ago, I came to Chapel Hill for college. And um, so before Love Chapel Hill started meeting on Sunday mornings, they met out by the well on Saturday nights. So like when the first Saturday nights, I was on my way to Franklin Street for dinner and came across this group of people singing a worship song. I recognized it, so I traded info and met with Matt and Justin to, like, make sure it wasn't a cult.
2: <laughs>
3: I mean, you never know, and I didn't want to start college that way. So so, um, yeah, I stuck around. Oh, yeah, 95% sure it's not a cult, but... Um, Anyway, it's been really cool to see the church grow over the past six years, see all that God has done, and really get to experience what community should be like. Okay, so in Acts 8, also, I am not a professor, so I'm going to read from my notes a little more. (laughs) Okay, so in Acts 8, we read about Philip the Evangelist... And I want to talk about how Philip's story shows us what happens when we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. Um, Philip travels to Samaria to preach the gospel following the stoning of Stephen from the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. So on his way, the Holy Spirit tells him to approach the chariot of an Ethiopian eunuch. This man was the court official and treasurer for Candace, who was the queen of Ethiopia. So, chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. So, Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? So, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So, Philip used... um, The scriptures to explain the good news of Jesus, and then they came across water, which is super miraculous because they were in a desert, and the eunuch was baptized. Um, After that, Philip was miraculously taken away and appeared again in Azotus, where he continued preaching the gospel. Um, So, this is a cool story for a few reasons. Um, there's tons to unpack about evangelism, baptism, and salvation, um, but there's no time for that, so we'll only look at a couple things. Um, sure, it's just one guy hearing the gospel and not the thousands of people being saved, like in the earlier chapters of Acts. but it shows us that God has made his gospel for everyone, and that God can redeem any situation when we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. Firstly, this story shows us that the gospel is for everyone. Now, throughout the story, the man is referred to as the eunuch. A eunuch was a man who had been castrated to be a reliable servant or government official in a rural court. One reason for this might have been that castrated employees were more loyal, as they weren't concerned about making their own family. So why, why go into all that? Um, why was he repeatedly called the eunuch and not just the Ethiopian or the official? Um, so Deuteronomy 23-1 declares that men who have been castrated were unclean. So I think we are learned from this that... Um, the gospel is for everyone. didn't matter anymore that Philip didn't, I mean, not Philip, that the eunuch didn't meet old standards of purity. Philip followed where the spirit-led and shared the gospel with the eunuch, someone who um, religion hadn't accepted. But Jesus did because God made his gospel for everyone. Um, We also see that God can redeem any situation when we let ourselves be led by the Spirit. We have to remember that the story begins with Philip traveling to Samaria to share the gospel because Stephen, his friend and fellow evangelist, was killed. I think a natural reaction would be to stay in your room and cry about your dead friend and avoid doing what got your friend killed. Um, Instead... Philip followed where the Spirit led and shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, consequently starting the Ethiopian church. So God took a tragic, terrible situation, martyrdom of Stephen, and redeemed it to spread his glory. So Philip's divinely guided encounter with the eunuch can show us how the gospel is for everyone and how God can redeem any situation when we are led by the Spirit.
2: Hello everybody, my name is DeMont, um, I'm originally from uh, Maryland, before I came here I was the music director at my church and now um, I've been coming here since February the 22nd and I hope with like the setting up and tearing down and stuff, but um, I'm here to talk about Barnabas and um, the introduction of Barnabas into the New Testament is dramatic and spectacular. He is introduced in the midst of a trying time for the fledgling church. What is most notable about Barnabas' introduction at this point is his actions which caused him to be mentioned. He had sold all of his property, which was probably of great value, and he gave it to the church. And they nicknamed him Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but Barnabas means encouragement or son of encouragement. And that's what he did for the early church. He encouraged people. And um, he saw potential in people that a lot of people will had nothing to do with. um, One of the greatest examples of this is Saul of Tarsus, before he became Paul. Barnabas um, accepted him into the early church and introduced him to the other apostles. And this relationship later developed into a partnership. The next we hear of Barnabas is that the Jerusalem church sent him to Antioch to encourage them. And after Barnabas had settled at Antioch in what appears to be the senior pastor's role, he left for Tarsus to find Saul. And they both returned to Antioch, and Saul assumed the role of an elder in the church, possibly teaching in a home-based Bible class for about a year. And um, they go on to... Uh, Missionary tour, and later, um, John Mark has abandoned them, and they return to Antioch, and as a consequence of their evangelizing Gentiles, certain Jewish Christians, ignored, ignorantly zealous for the laws of Moses still to be binding upon Christians, stirred up dissension. And this led to a council meeting in Jerusalem to decide the issues of Gentile salvation. And from this point, Barnabas begins to fade out in the distance of the New Testament, and Paul rises to be the chief um, spokesman. And um, a story that I heard about, um, it was a certain friends of a terminally sick Christian man. They visited him in the hospital, and they tried to cheer him up and encourage him. So they started to recall his great accomplishments and usefulness. And to this, he said, you are all miserable comforters. Many have have visited and tried to comfort me by telling me what I have done. Christ is my source of consolation, not anything I have done. And that's all of our source right there, Christ. Um, I remember a couple months ago, I was with um, Pastor Matt and a couple people from this church, and we were having lunch, and we was having lunch with Pastor Anthony, and he was about to um start up a new church and Pastor Matt asked me um to give him some words of encouragement and I couldn't think of anything to say so th- they said they'll get back to me. And the only thing that I could think about was to, um just the phrase love them love till they ask you why. And I I figured that was um, uh, you know, it was good because this church has Love Chapel Hill. And, um, we used to say that at my old church, just love them until they ask you why. Just love people until they ask you why. Do stuff for them. Go out your way for them, especially your enemies. Just keep doing stuff for them. Sooner or later, they're going to come up to you, and they're going to ask you, why are you doing this? And then you can say the name of Jesus, and they can't argue with you because they're already seeing them through your actions. And, um, I got one more bit of encouragement, um, hopefully y'all all all got one of these y'all probably was wondering what it is um a lot of times we like you know we just become busy and we put off stuff like forgiving people or you know if it's homework or whatever you know we like i'll do it later you know it's like you know i'll get around to it well we never get around to it but today you got around to it so you had no more excuses
4: Hey everyone. Uh, can you all hear me? Oops. Okay. Um, so I'm Allison. I'm a, a baker uh, and social worker and uh, originally from Charlotte, but came here for school and then kind of stuck around. Um, so I get to talk about my, one of my favorite stories, um, which is about Lydia. So in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, we meet Lydia a single or widowed Gentile businesswoman living in Philippi, which is in Europe. She believes there is one true God. She just doesn't know him yet. So she goes down to the river to pray, to seek after God, to drink of living water. And God and his grace meets her there because God seeks us and meets us where we are. Six years ago, when Love Chapel Hill was holding its very first service in this theater, I wasn't even a Christian I wasn't even seeking God when he met me where I was and opened my heart. He met me as a student in the Union, in Morrison, in Chapman 201, while reading a poem I'd read a thousand times before and in a movie theater seat right over there. I'm only here today because God was drawing me to him in his provenient grace and he met me where I was. Be patient and trust that God will meet you where you are. You're not here by accident, and you aren't hearing this by accident. So in his grace, God opens Lydia's heart by the river. He gives her eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lydia finds, as John Wesley would put it, her heart is strangely warmed. She's so compelled by the gospel that not only is she baptized, but her whole household is baptized, and she opens her home to these strange preaching men she's literally just met. That's radical hospitality. In inviting Paul and his preachers to dwell in her home, Lydia invites Jesus and his Holy Spirit to dwell in her heart. Being a businesswoman, she might not have much time, but we know she has a house. And so she offers that up to the Father and opens her home to all who are seeking God. We are called to submit our whole lives and all of our possessions to God. To lay down our lives for Jesus. What do you need to submit to the Father? So you can invite Jesus and his Holy Spirit to fully dwell and reign in your heart. In a twist of the story, Lydia becomes that river where people come to pray and seek God. Out of her heart flows a river of living water. A spring of water gushing up into eternal life. This overflow of the Holy Spirit lights Lydia's life like a bonfire beacon, sowing seeds for an awakening of the Spirit in Europe. In opening her home, Lydia planted the Philippian church, ingraining it with her radical hospitality. And in opening her home, Lydia opened a city, a country, and even a whole continent to the gospel. Lydia, a Gentile, a non-Jew, became the first Christian in Europe. Lydia, a single or widowed woman, Established the first church in Europe. God used this unlikely flame to incite an awakening. This one small act, done with great love, of opening her home sparked a movement that changed the course of European and even world history, all because Lydia was faithful to God. She opened her home because God first opened her heart. It was a calling to a small act that flowed from the great love of God a calling to respond to God's love. And God has a calling on your life as well. Each and every one of you here, all he asks is that we be faithful to him. How are you being faithful to God right now? Because these stories of Stephen, Philip, Barnabas, and Lydia, these are our stories too. And not just them, the stories of Abraham, Moses, and David, of Deborah, Ruth, and Esther, of Elijah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, of John, Peter, and Paul. These are our stories, stories of people just like us, who God uses in miraculous ways through courageously faithful acts of service. We are all characters in this epic story of redemption and love. Each of us is designed for specific roles, our callings, To serve in small ways with God's great love. As the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. When we serve out of love, our storyline is tied to the story that the author of creation is writing. How are you serving and living right now to contribute to that story of redemption and love? Because this calling is not for 10 years from now. It is a right now calling. Jesus says, you stay still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Open your eyes to the harvest that is here. To the ways that you can serve right now. But be aware, you will be asked to serve in ways... That require you to courageously step out in faith. And unless God has raised you up for that very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Take courage. Don't let doubt smother your fire. Because the enemy will make you doubt your abilities, wanting you to choose the way of the wicked. But it is our choices that show us who we truly are far more than our abilities choose to courageously step out in faith and cling to God? What if each of us, like Lydia, leaned into our callings right now by submitting our lives and possessions to the Father and by inviting Jesus and his Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts, opening our eyes to the opportunities to courageously and faithfully serve with God's great love? How would history change? What incredible stories of faith and courage could the author tell through our lives? I pray that God will meet you where you are and open your heart. And in turn, that you would be faithful to Jesus and courageous in pursuing who the Father has called you to be. That the Holy Spirit would kindle a fire within each of you. So you become bonfire beacons burning against the night to signal the hope of Jesus Christ, set ablaze in his glory, so that our city built on a hill will shine before others, alive with the marks of the Spirit, and give glory to our
2: Father in heaven. Amen.